Well, good morning. Um, for several months, I've been wanting to do this series on Jonah. You know, I've seen and I've, I've heard the way that um, many Christians speak of lost people in, in, in our city and in our country. And I've watched as a, as a returning citizen coming back to his home country, and, and I've seen how divided and, and fractured the, the nation is. Uh, and it's not just into sort of two camps, two parties, but it's into all these different sects and groups. And they all have these spectrum of views and, and opinions on things. And it seems like the, the whole concept of civil discourse has has become almost nothing. A debate in Washington seems to be something of, of the past. As we all retreat into our uh, media filter bubbles and algorithms, uh, did you know that Facebook actually has an algorithm that keeps you seeing uh, posts and things from people who think like you do? Uh, people that agree with you politically or, or whatever it may be, and and that makes us think that the rest of the world thinks like us, or most of the world thinks like us. And, and I think that this can be a very dangerous thing for us. We as humans are, are tribal. We tend to stick with our tribe, and we tend to hate anyone who has an opposing worldview from us. Even in Australia, if the issue of politics came up, people's heads would get red hot and they would be livid over sort of non-issues. The most calm and lovely people would transform into these you know, heavy-breathing, red-faced anger monsters. And it was really confusing to me and it really it upset me that we'll defend our our views on guns or taxes with more intensity than our respect for God. And so enter the prophet Jonah. I think Jonah is misunderstood for several reasons. We often think uh, Jonah, who, as we just read, is running away from God because he is frightened. Because he's scared. He's scared of what the Ninevites will do to him. He's scared that God may not look after him. When in fact, as we're going to see in a little bit, he knows God better than we think he does. And here's the thing. The book is called the book of Jonah. And Jonah most certainly is the central figure, the central character a human character, but he is not the main character of this book. God is the main character. He is the one that we want to know about when we read this book. He's the character who we want to know more because he is the one that we interact with today. He's the one who has a relationship with us today. So for us to learn from this series, we need to hear and learn from God as it relates to this book. Uh, in seminary, one of my professors told the story of, of a class where people would notoriously fall asleep. 
And uh, often the students had books piled up around them, and so the professor couldn't always see everybody's faces, and so it was quite easy to, to sort of nod off uh, and not get caught. Uh, Bruce, it wasn't your class, so... <laughs> uh, but one day a student fell asleep, and uh, when he kind of started to wake up, his friend was looking at him with big, big eyes, and he, he started mouthing, he asked you to pray. He's, asked, he's calling on you to pray. And so the student stands up in the middle of class and, and just starts praying. And he prays this long, beautiful prayer. And everybody's head is bowed. And when he finished, the professor said, well, Thank you. Thank you for that prayer. I'm not sure why you chose the middle of class to do it, but, uh, but I thank you. His, his friend had tricked him. <clears throat> if we want to gain benefit from what we need to, then we need to be listening to the right people. We need, to be, we need to have the right framework. We need to have a full understanding of what's happening and, and not get sidetracked and not get caught up in things that are distracting us. And, and we need to not fall asleep. That's a joke. Don't fall asleep. So what is it that we learn in chapter one about God? The first thing we learn is that the whole world is the Lord's. And there is nothing that he does not see. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah is a prophet. Uh, you can look in uh, 2 Kings 14 that he was prophesying around the same time as uh, uh, Amos and Hosea. Uh, some Jewish tradition say that Jonah was the boy that Elijah raised from the dead in 1 Kings 17. Jonah is a, a prophet in the north, in Israel. And here, God calls him to Nineveh. And Nineveh is the last capital of the Assyrian Empire. In 100 years... Nineveh will reach its height of power. At that point, the prophet Nahum could write these words, From you, O Nineveh, have come plots of evil against the Lord and counsels of wickedness. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. Nothing can heal your wound, your injuries fatal. Everyone who hears about your fall claps his hands for who has not felt your cruelty. This is the city that God says, Jonah, go and preach against this city because the wickedness has arisen to my eyes. Uh, Nineveh is now the town of, or near the town of Mosul in Iraq. And many of you will remember when ISIS captured Mosul and they actually destroyed what was thought to be the burial site of the prophet Jonah. So it even has some significance uh, today. And so Nineveh was rebellious and wicked. And that wickedness was not hidden from God. God knew of their wickedness. God knew of their rebellion. He was seeing it. Because there is nothing that is beyond his sight. And nothing has changed. Just as God knew the wickedness of the people in Nineveh, 
He knows the wickedness that exists in our world today as well. And more than that, He knows the wickedness within our very own hearts. Because nothing is beyond His sight. Their sin wasn't hidden from God, and neither is ours. It would be foolish for us to think that we can hide our sin from this God. You know, occasionally I walk into, um, into a room looking for my son, and often he's doing something he's not supposed to be doing. And when he sees me, he gets this look of shock, like, what are you doing here? How, how did you get here? How did you know I was in here? And he begins to panic, and he, he tries to run, and he tries to hide. Sometimes he even does that when he's not doing something wrong, which is strange. Um, sometimes it's something harmless like putting on my shoes and he panics because he thinks it's wrong. And so he runs and he hides. And I don't know why he does the things he does most of the time or any of the time. I, I, I can't look into his heart. I don't know his motivations. And yet he does them. And, and that's from a, a parent's perspective who is around a lot, but not always. And, and I don't know his motivations. And yet God sees all that we do all of the time. And he knows our intentions and our motivations and our prejudices. Everything is the Lord's and there is nothing he does not see. That's the God we meet here in Jonah chapter 1. The second thing we see is that this God is the sovereign Lord over all the earth, and it is impossible to fight against Him. He is the Lord over every detail of life. Listen to Jonah's own words in verse 9. I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. His God rules and His God reigns. He is the Creator. He made all things and He sustains all things. This reminds me of when I was in high school and my friends and I used to take uh, our cars and drive them around in these sort of unused vacant lots. And usually there'd be kind of steep inclines and things where you could really get your uh, You could learn how to drive appropriately. Um, <clears throat> And um, one, night we were, uh, one night we were driving around in one of these lots, and uh, the police turned up. And uh, we were quickly having the conversation of, uh, amongst us of what we, what we were going to say. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes people hear my last name and they say, oh, is that like Michael Youssef? So I thought, well, I'll use my name and see if that helps us. Um, <laughs> terrible, arrogant teenager that I was. Uh, another, another guy in the group, his dad used to be a police officer, and we thought, hmm, that's pretty good. That might help. Uh, one of the other guys, his dad was um, a federal attorney, and we thought, ooh, that's real good. <laughs> That'll really help us. And finally, the last guy got a big grin on his face, and we said, what is it? And he said, my dad actually owns this property. <clears throat> we thought, That'll do. <laughs> You see, while those other positions seemed good, there was really only one position of real authority that was going to keep us in the clear. 
Jonah says, I fear the Lord. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven. And here Jonah speaks perfect theology on who God is, and yet Jonah thinks he can run from this God? In verse 3 it says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. What does Jonah think he's doing? Surely he doesn't think that he can escape this God. He knows he cannot escape from the eyes of the God who sees all things. Can he flee from the God who knows the wickedness of the city in Nineveh? Can he fight against the God who calls men out to preach the word? The problem is that Jonah doesn't believe what he believes. He doesn't act in a way that is consistent with what he knows to be true. You can know the truth and still act foolishly in a way that is totally inconsistent with the truth. And we do this all the time. We can sing words like, I surrender all. We, we can sing all these things. We can pray prayers. We can uh, affirm the truths that we hear today. And, and yet we can live lives that are unchanged and unshaped and not molded by the truth. If we believed what we believe, our lives would look very different. Jonah doesn't believe what he believes. But he's also no fool. He's thought this through. He knows he cannot outrun God. That is impossible. And so what is he doing? He is simply resigning as a prophet. He is tendering his resignation to the God of heaven. I no longer want to be your messenger. I no longer want to be your spokesman through whom you proclaim your word. I'm resigning. And that the answer to why Jonah ran is not given until chapter 4 and verse 2. And so rather than us waiting all the way to the fourth week to find out, we'll go ahead and cover it now. Here's what he says at the very end. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He runs because he knows God's character. He knows that God is gracious and compassionate. And when the Ninevites turn to him, God will forgive them. Jonah wants to see their wickedness punished. He wants to see them condemned. This is the mindset of a man who does not know the grace of God. This is the mindset of a man who is a religious person, but not a saved by grace person. Someone who sees their salvation as part of their cultural inheritance or something that they have earned or something that they deserve. 
if he knew that his salvation was a gift from God, from God's gracious hand, then he would rejoice to see sinners saved by that very same grace. But because his religion fills him with this self-righteous pride, he cannot bear the idea that these wicked outsiders of the people of God would be forgiven and then included. There is a childishness in running away from the Lord who sees all things. But this is worse. This is worse. This is not just childishness, but this is direct knowing disobedience. Direct refusal to mold the character to the character of God. As we read on, we see that because God is sovereign, he raises this great storm. And these pagan mariners or pagan sailors begin to panic And they begin to throw things overboard to lighten the ship to help keep it buoyant. And as they're throwing things overboard, the the captain goes down into the ship. And what does he find? He finds Jonah asleep. So the captain comes to him and he says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. We've all prayed to our gods. We're all from different regions and different uh, districts and countries and, and people groups, and we've all prayed to our different gods. And so then they decide to cast lots to figure out who's responsible for all this. And, and then when the lot falls on Jonah, they begin to interrogate him, and they start asking him all these questions. Tell us, on whose account has this evil come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people do you come from? You see, because they had a, a, a view of gods as being a territorial gods. So you had a God that looked after the territory from which you would come. So you had a, a God who was looked after the territory of the Philistines. You had a God who looked after the territory of the Assyrians. And Jonah says, I don't call upon a territorial God. If you want me to pray, I am praying to the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea, the very sea that's tossing us about. The God who made the dry land. And the men on the boat are baffled. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? It is inconceivable to these men that if Jonah believed in a God like that, that he would do something as stupid as this. They wouldn't dream of treating a God like that, like this. And so Jonah is rebuked by the pagan mariners who see the implications of his belief that Jonah is not living out. Jonah's refusal to go on this mission, he puts their very lives in danger. If it wasn't for him, they would be safely on their way to Tarshish. 
And yet now their lives are in danger and they've had to throw all of their possessions and all of their things overboard. Because of Jonah, they are now under the threat of judgment. And so the seas grow more and more violent. Verse 11, then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Here's the irony. The sailors don't throw him into the waters right away. They desperately try to row to land, to dry land. These pagan sailors show more compassion on Jonah than Jonah has for the pagan Ninevites of whom he is sent to. And he is responsible for their situation and yet they still try to save his life. Then they pray to God, not to their territorial gods, but they pray to the God of Jonah, the creator God. Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, oh, Lord, have done as it pleased you. At this point, surely Jonah could have repented. Surely. Surely Jonah could have stand up and said, Lord, forgive me. Send me back and I will go to Nineveh as you commanded me. Surely he could have repented and then the seas would have calmed and everything would have been fine. But Jonah would rather die than repent. Jonah would rather die than repent. My heart breaks when I hear of people who say things like this or act like this. Throw me overboard. Jonah knows he cannot fight against God and the sailors have learned the exact same lesson. This is the Lord. You cannot fight against this God. This God does as He wills. Now this is a difficult lesson for us, isn't it? That we cannot control everything. And sometimes God teaches us that in the most painful of ways. These pagans have learned this lesson, and they call out incredibly in amidst Jonah's rebellion and failure, God uses him to lead these pagan sailors to some sort of understanding of the true and living God. The third thing we see as, uh, that we see about God is that God is the God of surprising grace. Surprising grace to these sailors, as we'll see in a few weeks. Surprising grace to the Ninevites. But here in this chapter, surprising grace to Jonah. He provides a a great fish to rescue Jonah. Presumably not a typical fish from the Mediterranean. I pray not. Uh, But obviously some special fish that he's 
brought in for this specific purpose. And God provides this great fish. The God who can do as He pleases. He uses His power. He uses His power to show mercy and grace. And as Jonah cries out in prayer, sinking into the depths, sinking into the grave, God rescues him. He didn't deserve it, but God brings him salvation. And as he will learn in chapter 2, he learns the lesson that salvation comes from the Lord. Nineveh deserves their death. Jonah deserves his death. And God saves them both. By His grace. The God who sees all things, who we can never fight against and win, is the God who delights in showing mercy. This is the God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who uh, relents in, in bringing calamity. And so Jesus can look out over the great city of Jerusalem and weep at their unbelief and, and, and desire their salvation. Jonah is a perfect encapsulation of the failure of God's people. A failure to recognize that God is the God of the nations, not of a particular people group only. And that God is a God who desires to show mercy to all people. And all people who will repent and turn to Him, regardless of, of their nationality, regardless of their race, regardless of their creed. This has always been God's character. Back in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations. In the Exodus, God called His people to be a light, a, a nation of priests proclaiming God to all of the world. And yet because they failed as God's people, because they chose to be tribal, the nation must die. Or rather, a, a representative of the nation must die. The only true Israelite, one that is greater than Jonah, who rose from the belly of the earth to proclaim the gospel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is confronted by the wicked city of his day. says this, As some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came and said, Teacher, we want to see a sign, a miracle from you. He answered them, A wicked and adulterous nation, like the Ninevites, ask for a miraculous sign. But no sign will be given except for the sign given by the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus has risen. He proclaims the grace and the mercy of God and those who responded to the preaching of Jonah will rise up at that day and condemn those who have rejected Christ and His gospel. God doesn't give His people signs and wonders. He gives His people truth in the mouth of a preacher. A preacher like Jonah. 
a, a preacher like Jesus. And those who, like us, obey the call to go and speak to our city. I want us to think about this as we conclude. There was another day. It was only a short walk from where Jonah grew up on the Sea of Galilee. And out on a boat, a storm arises. And Jesus lies sound asleep as the storm threatens the lives of everyone on the ship. And they run to him, and they wake him up, and they cry out, Don't you care if we drown? The very same question that was asked of Jonah. Don't you care if we drown? But Jonah didn't care. He didn't care about anything. But Jesus is asked the same question, and he stands and he says, Quiet, be still. And the storm is stilled immediately. And they ask one another, what order of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Jesus cares so greatly for them that he wins not only their salvation from that storm or their salvation from the storms in their life, but from the storm of the judgment to come. When we will all face that judgment of the all-knowing God, the, the one who sees everything, the one who sees all of our wickedness, all of my wickedness, when we come face to face with the one whom we cannot fight against and win, Jesus comes to save us from that storm. Jonah was commanded to preach and he runs away. Jesus preaches salvation from the storm to come. And he doesn't fail and he doesn't flee from the task before him. And neither should we. As we will see in a few weeks, God uses those weak words from a redeemed sinner to save a city. God's heart is for all of the people of the earth. God's heart is for all the people of the city. If our heart is to align with God's heart, then we will go. And with transformed hearts, we will hear the call of God. Go into this great city of Atlanta into which I have planted you, into the neighborhoods in which I have specifically placed you. We are weak, but Christ is strong. When God called upon Jesus to go to leave the, the glory and the splendor of heaven to come to earth, it was because of our wickedness. But he came not to judge, but he came to proclaim life. And because Jesus was faithful as we go out, as we get opportunities to speak, as we get opportunities to make connections and build relationships, then we can have this hope because we know that it's not dependent on what we have done or what we will do, but it's dependent on what He has already done and is continuing to do in us and through us. Let's pray.
Oh, Father, how easy it is to read of Jonah and say, Oh, Jonah, you are shameful. Oh, and yet this is so often my heart. I look at people and I want mercy for myself and I want justice for them. And oh, how I have misunderstood the gospel at that point. Forbid it, Lord, that I take my salvation for granted. But Lord, give me eyes to see. Give us all eyes to see a world in which you are drawing to yourself. Yes, there will be some who reject you. And yet we are called to proclaim the good news to them all the more. So Father, may we not stand in our own self-righteousness, but may we go out knowing that we have been forgiven by a great God, a gracious God who sees everything and knows everything and is all-powerful and sends us out, not without words, but with the words of life and truth and hope and salvation, the words of Christ. Remind us of these things this week. We're not alone. We pray this in Christ's name.